If you have your Bibles with you, if you could open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. And I don't know if you read the Far Side comics when they were coming out in the paper a lot, but uh, I remember a Far Side comic that I had seen had two deer, how fitting for this time of the year, standing upright, and one of them had a birthmark in the form or the shape of a target. And the other deer was saying or giving apologies or feeling sorry for the birthmark of that deer. I want to take that far side comic and I want to talk to you, brother and sister in the Lord. If you've been to the cross and you've been saved, the blood of Christ has atoned for your sins, you have a birthmark on you, and it's in the shape of a target. And our enemies are coming for that. Do you know what Adolf Hitler once said? He said this, Mental confusion, contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, panic, these are our weapons. That's what he wrote one time. You know, we've been studying, if you can remember, because we've had a lot of breaks and interruptions, but we've been studying these strategies, these schemes of our spiritual enemies as they try to prevent God's people from successfully building in God's kingdom. And you remember what we've learned from Paul in 2 Corinthians? He says, we need to know these strategies. Why? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Do you know how many Christians... You know how many of us are being outwitted by Satan? For we are not ignorant of his designs, his plots, his schemes, his strategies. That's why Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. Listen, Satan... Let's just get this on the table, right? Do you, do you not agree with this? Satan is way smarter than any of us. And he has so many ways. Listen, he's not unlimited in his strategies. The strategies that we are uncovering in Nehemiah, I don't really think there's a lot more of them. He just is an expert in knowing exactly which strategy needs to work for which Christian. He knows how to bring us down. He knows how to get us to stop working in the kingdom. In fact, listen, he knows how to, he knows how to hatch a plot today that he doesn't even intend to begin putting it into execution for years. He's just waiting. He's biding his time. You have a target on you and I have a target on me. But what we're going to see this morning is that if you're a leader and you're in a position of influence, he's coming at you in a way that he's coming, not coming at the ordinary Christian. You see, we've been seeing these strategies. If you remember, if you can link back and you can see him behind me, he used criticism. Remember, all of these are intended to try to get you to stop working in the kingdom of God, get you ineffective, render you useless for God's purposes. It starts with criticism. You know, you get your, your life beginning to be rebuilt. Your life was in, in rubble. And it can happen like that. You can make one mistake and your life can fall apart. We know that. 
But you begin to rebuild that spiritual wall around you. You begin to grow stronger in your salvation and in the disciplines of the Lord. And you begin to set the doors of those 12 gates back in your wall. I'm wanting to review those gates, but we don't have time. But you begin to, you begin to get those functioning. You remember, walls keep the wrong people out. Gates let the right people in. And that gate, or the walls rather, have the name salvation on them. Our spiritual wall that we're building is the security that we have because we are the children of God. And the gates that we set are the portals that we allow fellowship around us to take place and the, the, the entryways into the deeper fellowship with God. We've got the wall is our salvation. We've got the gates of our fellowship. And the enemy is going to bring criticism and try to get you to stop working in the kingdom of God. And if criticism doesn't work, then he's going to stir people up around you. And they're going to come around you to try to discourage you. And if that doesn't work, Satan knows how to blow the fog of confusion into your mind. You know, I don't know why I'm going through trial after trial since I'm beginning to get my life back together for the Lord. Maybe it's not worth it. That's the fog of confusion. And it takes a lot of forms. But the enemies are going to ramp that up. And pretty soon, here comes discouragement. Listen, if you've not discovered the power of discouragement to render you useless, you haven't experienced it yet. I'm pretty sure, I think, discouragement's probably the top issue that I'm dealing with with people in our church. And you can begin to see it happen as they trickle out of coming to church and they trickle out of service and they trickle away from the disciplines of the Lord. And I come around them and here's that familiar discouragement. We're going to discover that a little bit later this morning. And if discouragement doesn't work, here comes that fear called dread. And if dread doesn't work, well, here's, I think, his number one tool in, in Christians. It's distraction. He'll just distract us. He'll get us so frenetically busy in life and oftentimes in good things. And they can come in the form of hobbies or extra jobs around Christmas. They can come in the form of even ministry. You get so involved in ministry and you forget to spend time with the Lord. That can happen. But even though all six of these strategies were employed against Nehemiah, he kept taking them to the Lord. They did not stop the work on the wall of Jerusalem until the seventh one came into being. And here it is. This is ingenious. It's called greed or love of money or materialism. It's really hard to serve God in money. In fact, Jesus says it's impossible. If, if our hearts are running after what the world promises, you cannot serve God. If you love the things of the world, you cannot love God. And here come all of these wealthy Jews that are right into Jerusalem and they love money, they love power, they love control and they're extracting the land, they're extracting the children through slavery from the poorer Jews, they're giving them loans with interest they'll never repay and it's creating a fracture in the people of God and all of a sudden in chapter 5 for the first 14 verses for the first time, there's no work being done on the wall of Jerusalem. Finally, Satan is having success. 
But again, Nehemiah leads his people well. He brings the word of God to bear. He brings these wealthy sinners into brokenness and repentance. And finally, we get to chapter 6. And what we're about to see in chapter 6, now listen, the enemy's not giving up. He's going to unleash three new strategies. But here's what I want you to hear. Men, you're a leader in your homes. Single parent homes. Ladies, you're the leader in that home. Men or ladies, you're leading in the church. You're leading in your events in your life. Elders, board deacons. You need to listen. You are in a position of influence, and because of that, you've got a target on you that is unlike anything the common laborer in the kingdom of God experiences. And our enemy will come, and when he comes, here's how he is likely to come. Here is verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors of the gates. Now listen, let's get your bearings, let's get our bearings together. The wall's done. We're going to find out soon. It only took 52 days. This is an extraordinary marvel of engineering. It is finished except for the gates. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they're in day 45. The point is, they're almost done. There are no more low places in the wall. There are no more open spaces or breaches that the enemy can pour through. The wall, which averaged nine feet wide, is done. And the enemy's not giving up. Now, you got to get that. you got your life back on track. You're walking with the Lord. You're in His Word. You're in prayer. Don't think that the enemy's done. He's going to go underground. He's going to become more covert. And he's going to come at you personally. Let's read on. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me. Here's that personal trajectory now. Saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. That sounds like an odd name for a plain. That's how you pronounce it. But they intended to do me harm. Here's three strategies that are really personally coming at the leaders. Number one is intrigue. You know what the word intrigue means, right? It means secret schemes. It's a scheme that is unfolding in secret and it's what we see from the enemies of God. And here again, we've got the same three seemingly ever-present enemies of God's people. You've got Sanballat, you've got Tobiah, and you've got Geshem. Now, if you've not been here for this series, let me give you a seriously super quick refresher course. Because they're still around today, they just go by different names. These are real people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, but they pointed metaphorically to a deeper Three enemies. You've got Sam Ballot. Listen, Sam Ballot is always around. 
Sometimes it's Sanballat and Geshem, like we just read. Pretty soon you're going to see Sanballat and Tobiah. And sometimes it's Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and the rest of the enemies. Wherever you find the enemies of God, listen, you've got Sanballat. And it's why he points to the enemy that every single Christian has and every leader of God's kingdom particularly experiences. It's Satan. And he walks around like a roaring lion. He is the greatest enemy of God. God's people. And then you've got Tobiah, and Tobiah is actually interrelated with the Jews through marriage, through an unlawful marriage. And it's that close proximity of of Tobiah, who is the governor to the east of the Ammonites, the half-Jews, basically. It's that Tobiah proximity that points to the flesh that is on board all of us. Listen, you might be a Christian You might have Christ raging and and trying to live dominantly in your life, but you still got this not organic, this spiritual matter called flesh. And I do too. And that flesh, which is a spiritual part of our hearts, beats to recoil against God and wants to rebel against God. And it's in constant war against the Spirit of God, Galatians 5.16. And that flesh is being killed by the gospel. It's being eradicated bit by bit. But on this side of eternity, we're always going to have this influence that says, I want what God doesn't want me to want. It's called the flesh. And then you've got Geshem, the Arab, and he is the wealthy Arab ruler to the south and to the west of Jerusalem. And he seems to be encircling Jerusalem with his influence. He is... He's angry at the Jews because a revived Jerusalem disrupts his trade routes, his commercial activity. And it's why Geshem points to this world, this God-opposing world. Listen, friends, look at me for a second. You walk out of this church and you're back into the midst of the world. To some degree, this is our haven. You're going to hear this in a minute, but this is why you don't leave fellowship. You walk out of this earth, or this, or this, this church rather, and you're back into this God-opposing, Satan-energized system that beats to rebel against God, wants nothing to do with God. That's why you can get to these celebrity reward, award ceremonies, and you can hear them say, thank God, but you won't hear them say, all glory to Jesus. The world hates Jesus, and if the name of Jesus is on your life, the world hates you. And so you've got Satan, you've got the world, and you've got this flesh, and then you've got the rest of the enemies, and you find out pretty quickly the Jews are completely surrounded. And here we've got two of them inviting Nehemiah to a parley. Sambalat and Geshem. Now, friends, listen. Let's be a student of God's word. You've got to notice the little things in the word of God because they become big things. Who's not there? You don't see Tobiah. Hang on, you're going to see him in a little bit. And we're going to learn soon that Tobiah is working on another plot. This is how good our enemies are. You've got Tobiah working on one plot and you've got Satan And you've got the world working on another plot. 
So Nehemiah is invited to this peace summit in Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. This is, listen, this is a scenic village in a fertile valley 20 to 30 miles north and a little west of Jerusalem, right on the edge of Israel's territory, right next to Ashdod, which is the city of the Philistines. In fact, the word Ono means his strength. And you get to see in this, it's an invitation for Nehemiah to leave the safety, the security, the strength of the almost completed walls of fellowship with God's people and come out into the world right into the strength of Sanballat. In fact, this is such a common ploy of Satan. He uses the world, he uses the Geshem of the world to consistently and constantly lure us out of fellowship. Just abandon the spiritual wall of your salvation, whispers the world, and pursue my treasures. You will find satisfaction. Or you're too busy to go to church. You're too busy to serve on the wall. That time will come later. You're in college right now. Wait till you're done and you graduate. Wait till this, this season of crazy activity at work gets better. Wait till your children grow up and then begin serving. This is the lure of the world. It's the promise and the whispery seduction of Ono. Get that new job and it prevents you from worshiping together with your church you get that new hobby and it takes your excitement and your drive and it replaces that excitement that you get when you're worshiping with your brothers and sisters in the in the presence of God over and over we see this happen listen i'm going to tell you as a pastor this is i think probably the predominant thing that i do behind preaching so I go out and pursue people who are being lured out of the walls of their salvation back into the pleasures of the world. Listen, I sit on the watchtowers as a, as a preacher. And you can watch it happen. They leave through the gates. They go out to Ono. And here we go. Elders, deacons, leaders, and pastors. It's time to go get them and encourage them back. Nehemiah knows the enemies of God have never once in the history of humanity sought peace. Listen, not once does your enemy want peace. They intended, he says, to do us harm. Do you see that word us? Not just me. They intended to do us harm, verse 9. Because to bring down the leader, you're going to bring down the people. So how do you respond when the invitation comes? Well, look at verse 3. Maintain the right priorities. And I sent messengers to them. Here's what it says, verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and come down to you. Listen, you've got to maintain the right priorities. I cannot come down. Don't you hear that little implication? Anything that would take me away from the work of God is in an inferior position. Well, somebody might say, well, no, Jerusalem was up on a mountain. 
And if you leave Jerusalem, you're going down, and that's geographically true, but there's a double entendre here. I cannot leave my exalted purpose for the fame of God to come down to the Valley of Ono. That would be to bring myself away from my priorities. And whatever pulls us away from God's priorities, listen, even good things will aid the plot of our enemies. The wall was built. The wall's done. There's no breach. But the gates aren't set. Do you know what that means, friends? Listen, climb inside the Old Testament for a minute. And climb inside Genesis 22 for a second. And listen to God speak to Abraham and promise that Israel will possess the gates of her enemies. And that's a military jargon, meaning that if you can overrun the gates of a city, then you have conquered the city. You own the city. The gates of Jerusalem are not set. They are vulnerable in 12 locations because there's 12 gates. It's imperative Then Nehemiah sets the doors to these gates. This is why, listen, this is why the enemy is trying to lure him. Yes, the walls are done. Your salvation is secure, friends. There's nothing that can eradicate that wall. But if the gates aren't set, you can be overrun and you will be useless for the kingdom of God. Do you know where your open gates are in your lives. Now, honestly, let's interact for a second. This is where you slip into gear now in your mind. Maybe it's your discipline in God's word. You know, this last week, I'm a little odd, I know. I like English muffins. And our toaster, you put them in the toaster and it pops them up and they're not quite done. So I put them in again until there's lots of nooks and crannies. And then I take our bottle of honey and I drizzle it all over those English muffins. It's embedded in there. I love honey. But listen, is the word of God like David sweeter to me than honey? I mean, honestly, friends, listen, do you love the word of God? And is it evident in your pursuit? You know what happened last night? This was the coolest thing that's happened to me. I don't know, 14 hours. This is really awesome. We had this guy come in last night. He takes me out in the foyer and he says, listen, I've been walking around Easton all day. I have got so much anxiety in my life. I can't get it out. I said, is it out now? He goes, no. I said, well, then let's get into the word of God. We went into the office. I walked him through Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. I said, listen, you've got to memorize this. You've got to meditate this. You've got to plant the word of God deep down in your heart. And when you're walking around, don't go to Ono thinking walking and exercise is going to do the trick. That might alleviate it temporarily. But if you want transformation, you've got to get the word of God into your heart. By the end of this sermon... Obviously, he wasn't listening to anything I was preaching. He memorized verses 4 through 7. We got down to the coffee house. He quoted them all to me without a Bible. He says, I feel so much better. Because it's the word of God. Listen, are you pursuing the word of God? I can tell you, if if you're walking out to the valley of Ono, you cannot simultaneously keep a grip on the word of God. That's one of the evidences. 
you're struggling with a particular sin in your life, you hate it. Listen, you hate I don't know any Christian that's ever told me they love the sin that keeps tripping them up. There's a fleshly part of a desire for that sin, but there's a bigger part of them, their God-redeemed part that hates it. They just can't stop it. If you've got a gate that is open, I can guarantee you the enemy's coming through it. That's why you hold on to your priorities. You love the Word of God. You hold on to your priorities and you defeat sin with the fellowship of believers around you. You you invite people in to transparency and accountability. I talked with a friend recently since Hurricane Sandy. it's It's wreaked such devastation that it's created a, an influx of work for his company. He's working together with the commute, I think he said, over 100 hours a week. Listen, he's not been in church for weeks. He's on his way through the gates of the wall of Jerusalem in his heart. He's heading to Ono. And the whisper of, he doesn't have to work that. It's a lot of money for the holidays, he said. He's on his way to Ono, and it is exactly where his enemy wants him. Maintain your right priorities. Look at the second one. Never relax your guard. Look what he says in verse 4. And they sent me four times in this way. Over and over, they invited Nehemiah out of the walls. Listen, Christian brother and sister, we can never relax our guard, ever. Serving God and building His kingdom. Look what Nehemiah says, quote, It's a great work, and our enemy will always try to tempt us out of it. I spent a lot of time, I told you earlier, encouraging discouraged people to not stop serving God. Don't give up. I've known people, we have people right now who have told me, you know what, I'm just taking a break from church. I'm not sure they're coming back. Because they're not behind the wall of the Jerusalem of the church. They're not behind and immersed in the worship and the glad fellowship of their brothers and sisters. They're on their way to Ono, and you may not come back from that valley. I have a good friend whose marriage right now is crumbling. He won't return my phone calls. He's avoiding fellowship with Christian brothers. Listen, it's not a new struggle for his marriage. But he was just finally worn down. He said, that's it. I'm leaving. He's in Ono. And I don't know what's going to happen to his marriage. Listen, you can't ever lose the right priorities and you can never respond with a yes to the invitation. The enemy will never quit. You've got to learn, number three, to say no to Ono. Look what he says in verse four. And I answered them in the same manner. You know, this is the devastation of churches all over the world. Pulpits are filled with pastors who are people pleasers. You see them constantly. 
They find it nearly impossible to say the word no. Your affirmation of me would mean so much that I can't say no to you. That is a trap that is common in pastoral ministry and in leadership of every form. It is hard to say no sometimes to wedding requests. It's very difficult when somebody is breaking apart in their life and you say no to counseling them and refer them somebody somewhere else. It's very difficult to give up that little whispery attraction of being invited to speak. But when anything tries to pull me away from my priorities, my priority is you. My priority behind my family is preaching and pastoring. Anything that wants to pull me away from that priority is going to harm me. And it's going to harm you. I've got to say no. You've got to say no too. Your enemy and my enemy will never give up. They just, all they do is adjust their strategy. Verse 5, in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And we're going to move now from intrigue, these secret schemes of invitation to the Valley of Ono for assassination attempts. Now we're moving to implication. You know, official letters were, were rolled up, and then another paper put around them, and then a piece of gum at the seam, and then a wax seal, or rather an ink seal. And if it was opened by anyone other than the intended recipient, then the, if you got caught doing it, you were put to death. That was serious in the Persian court. An open letter was an unsealed letter. This is a common way, and by the way, our government does it all the time in the media. This is a way to leak information that they really want to get out anyways. They just don't want to be caught giving it. How many times have you heard in sports somebody leak information and then refuse to take credit for it? It's an anonymous report. This is an intended leak in Nehemiah's life. It's reported, verse 6, among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. Here's this information, and now it's circulating around all the land. That is why you're building the, the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Now listen, this is serious stuff. Because back earlier than Nehemiah's day, during Ezra's day, they did the same exact thing and the rumor made it to the king of Persia and the king of Persia shut down the rebuilding of Jerusalem and had them tear down everything that they had made progress in. And again, Sanballat and Geshem, Satan and the world show us this is a common tactic of theirs. You begin rebuilding, and all of a sudden people say, you're just becoming one of those holy rollers, or you're a hypocrite, and people start conspiring around you, and the rumors go around that you're no longer coming to the parties because you're too good for everybody else. It's all this implication. It's an old strategy of the rumor mill and it's powered by gossip. You know what one person defined gossip as? It's news you have to hurry and tell before the truth is going to get out. It burns a hole in our souls. And we all know how that feels. We all have felt that whispery power in giving information out that's not ours to give. 
So how do, we, how do we respond to these false implications that are going to roll through the rumor mill and come around and against us? Look what Nehemiah does, verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you, have, as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. And somebody here alertly is going to say, Well, Pastor Tim, a few weeks ago you said, Never defend yourself. But here's Nehemiah writing a letter back defending himself. So which gives? Do you defend yourself or do you not defend yourself? Let me let Spurgeon teach us the balance. And here's what he says. Falsehoods usually carry their own contradictions somewhere about them. They sting themselves to death. Here's what he says. Your blameless life will be your best defense. Yet there are exceptions. When distinct, definitive public charges are made against a man, he he is bound to answer them and answer them in the clearest and most open manner. The general public ordinarily regards a refusal, refusal to reply as proof of guilt. Listen, when the rumor mill begins to come against you, let your blameless life answer it. But if it goes public... You deal with it. And you deal with it the way Nehemiah dealt with it. And we're going to see how he did. You know, it's likely, it's likely for that reason that Nehemiah sends this letter back to Samballat. He denies the charges, but the key is this. No, Nehemiah knew, look at verse 9. He knew what his enemy's goal really was. They all wanted to frighten us. Look at that pronoun thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Look at verse 2. The invitation comes to Nehemiah singularly. Get out to the Ono Valley where we can assassinate you and do you harm. But look at Nehemiah really knows what's going on. This is against the people of God. They were coming against the leader because if you could take the leader down, you're going to stop the work. Do you pray for your leaders? Wives, do you pray for your husbands? Teachers, do you pray for your school administrators? Okay, I know I'm pushing it. Do you pray for your bosses and your managers at work? And students, do you pray for your teachers at school? Listen, there's a target on every leader in the body of Christ because they carry influence And if you can bring the leader down, you will disrupt the body's work. When we're on the receiving end of these schemes, remember, our enemies are trying to stop our faithful and effective service to God. If you are out of the walls of the church and in the Valley of Ono, they succeeded. So you turn to God in prayer, you let him strengthen your hands for service, and it's exactly, again, what we see Nehemiah do. God, strengthen my hands. Prayer's the solution. But do you remember that Tobiah's not there? This is just Sanballat and Geshem. What's Tobiah up to? Here's what we're going to see he does. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, verse 10, the son of Deliah, 
the son of Mehatabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. If you look at verse 14, you're going to see Tobiah and Sanballat working together. And now we're in the third and final strategy of Satan. It's called infiltration. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. It might be shocking to you, but it's true in my experience. Most of what I see Satan doing in the church happens right in the midst of our own people. Listen, if you're in China and you're trying to give out Bibles and your Bibles are being stolen and burned and you're put into prison, well, then you've got a persecution and satanic work that's happening outside the church. And if you're in the Congo right now and you're preaching the word of Christ and you're, you're martyred for that, well, that's, that's, that's persecution that's coming from outside. But in North America and in church and in Cornerstone, most of what happens that goes wrong in our church is happening right within our own pews. And by the way, if you don't like what I'm saying, just look at the pattern through Scripture. It was an unlikely partner of Satan in Job's own wife. Do you still hold fast your integrity, she said? Just curse God and die. That's his wife. The closest companion he had on earth. Wasn't it one of the disciples that Jesus invested three and a half years of his life in, Judas, who ended up betraying him? Satan works through those who are in our lives. Sometimes there are spouses, sometimes there are children, sometimes there are co-workers and our friends. It was the Moabites who used a worldly prophet of God, his name was Balaam, to try to curse the entire people of, the, of Israel. See, you look to verse 14, and then all of a sudden you find out this isn't just one prophet. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also, here's more, the prophet is Nadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. These are the prophets of Jerusalem. Listen, can I put it in today's vernacular? They're the cream of the crop. They're the elders. They're the ministry leaders. And you've got God raising Nehemiah up who brings by his namesake the consolation and the comfort of God. And they are recoiling. Satan and Tobiah have found their way through the flesh of these men and women. And they are trying to capture Nehemiah in, in fraud. And discredit his name. Do you think for a moment that doesn't happen in today's churches? This is a prophet. Shemaiah is their spokesman. He says, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Now look at me for a second. I want you to see this. You ever had somebody declare a word from the Lord to you? It's not unusual that somebody will come up to me and they'll say, I've got a message for you or I've got a word from the Lord that God wanted me to give. And sometimes they are legitimate. My most recent was if you value your life and your ministry, you'll meet with me. And listen, as you 
begin to learn how to discern if this is a word from the Lord or not, what you're going to see is if it contradicts the word of God and it contradicts the character of God, it ain't God. And you got to begin to see through these words of the Lord because sometimes they are legitimate. Shemaiah advises him, flee into, look what he says, the house of God, which is a term for the most holy of holies. Flee into the inner sanctuary of the temple and we will together escape your assassination attempt. Yet it contradicts the commands in Scripture. Numbers 18 says, Any outsider who comes near the house of God shall be put to death. Nehemiah was not a priest, and only priests were allowed beyond the court of Israel. So Nehemiah then began to understand, and he says that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me, the word of the Lord against me, because here they are, the flesh in Satan had hired him. This is a prophet whose flesh overtook his conviction, tempted by Sam Ballot, Satan and came against the leaders of God's people. Why? To disrupt the work of God. Do you see how Satan can infiltrate right into the very people that ought to be the ones that encourage your faith? So how do you respond as I come to the end of this sermon? Again, understand, listen, most of this is understand the motives of the enemy. Look what he says. They wanted to give me a bad name in order to taunt me. They wanted to discredit me, to bring me into ill repute. They wanted to, if the governor flees into the sanctuary and breaks the word of God, then he's not fit for leadership. And Nehemiah refused to listen to this false prophecy. By the way, you know this is true, right? That experts say if you want to learn to be able to detect counterfeit money, don't spend your time studying the counterfeit. Spend your time studying the real thing. And the more we're in the Word of God, you're going to detect what's not the Word of God. And the more you're in prayer with God, the more you're going to discern when it's not God speaking. The more you know God, the more you're going to see when it's not the character of God. And Nehemiah refused to listen. He refused to respond. Look what he does. He doesn't say anything back to Shemaiah. He says, remember Tobiah and Sambalat. He's praying. But listen, I want you to hear how he prays. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God. Do you hear how his heart is so personally and intimately knowing his God? Listen, that's how you know when the invitation for the Valley of Ono will end in your destruction. That's how you know when the rumor mill is, needs to be defended and when it needs to just let your blameless life respond. This is how you know when Satan is working amidst the people that ought to be encouraging you. You know your God. The more you know your God and love your God, the more you're going to see the enemies of God. He doesn't do anything else. Can I... Can I Remind you, he's the governor. False prophets had a biblical solution. Stoning. 
And here's the most powerful person in Jerusalem that was exercising the authority and the might of the most powerful man on the planet, King Artaxerxes. He could have stoned him in a second. But Nehemiah says, oh God, oh my God, you deal with this. Listen, when people come against you, brother and sister, let your blameless life be your response. If it's a public accusation, deal with it rightly and forthrightly and turn back to your God. Detect what is the enemy's work and entrust yourself to your Lord. Nehemiah left it with God and listen, he went back to work. He got back to the wall. He got back to the gates. He knew the scriptures, he knew his God, and he knew his calling. His calling was to rebuild the wall. Listen, when the enemy comes against you, and he will, and he is, and he may be plotting today and executing it in 10 years, he's not giving up. He will never give up. Listen, it was on John Piccioni's deathbed that we're coming around him praying because you're not much more vulnerable than at that moment. And that's true with all the people that we come around when they're nearing down in the final days of their lives on this earth. You come around them and you hold their faith strong so that they finish in glorious fashion bringing fame to the name of God because the enemies won't give up. They're going to bring their secret schemes and they're going to bring their implications and try to discredit us and they're going to infiltrate right into the midst of this church and they're going to bring false words of God and we've got to discern them to know what they add up to against the word of God and the character of God and when we know our God, we'll know it's not from him. Your gate's open. Yes, I know you've probably got the wall of salvation around you, but if you've got an open gate, you're vulnerable, and that's where he's coming. Close the gates. Get in the word of God. Get back on your knees. Stay in the fellowship of God's people. Don't go to Ono. You may not come back. And trust the God that loves you so much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for teaching us so clearly from your word what our enemies are up to, Lord, Satan in this world and our flesh, Lord, how to recognize their work and how to remain victorious. Lord, strengthen us, help us, let us serve well to bring fame to your name and glory to our God. Lord, for those in here who are struggling, we're a hundred yards out of the wall on their way to the Valley of Ono. Lord, I pray that we will turn them back and walk them back into the safety and the security of biblical fellowship and encourage one another, strengthen one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.